Now is the time for the leader to qualify. Please stand. I'm going to sit. And uh, we ask you to keep the focus on your recovery in this 12-step program, of course. <coughs> qualify till 9.15. You will get a five-minute warning. Is there a, ti- a timer? Where's that? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm Susan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for asking me to share. Victor, thank you for getting me all wired up here. Um, I stood up at this meeting as a newcomer 32 years ago. This meeting is so important to me. Um, I, I just can't even, it doesn't matter where it is, what time it starts, it's the kitchen sink. And um, unfortunately, until nine years ago, it was my home meeting. I never missed it. Um, and then, uh, and then a, a little boy came into my life. So <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to be able to stay home by himself so I could come back here. I've just been really counting the minutes. So um, as I said, about uh, two weeks ago, I celebrated 32 years of continuous abstinence. And um, thank you. Yeah. You know what? It never gets old. It never gets old. It's maybe my first year. It was the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. But um, after that, just—it's every year is great. Every year is exciting. Every year I count down the days till it's going to happen. And I just um, am so grateful to this program. Uh, I'm so grateful. And I hope I convey that uh, later as we go on. So... Um, Let's see. I also want to tell you something about Adam, who doesn't know this, but I remember when I first came in, and I remember him, and he wore a yellow, I thought of this this morning, he was wearing a yellow plaid shirt and jeans. You don't know me because I just sat in the back of the room, covered in, you know, clothes, big clothes and everything. I was a size 18 when I came in. And um, there was Adam. He was one of the cool kids. So, (laughs) with that Serenity Sunday. So, um, I just wanted to mention that. So, I have been a compulsive overeater, uh, I would say my whole life, but my first conscious memory of uh, being obsessed with food was when I was four. And then, um, by the time I was six, I was being made fun of for my size. And um, I didn't know at the time that food uh, has something to do with your body size just didn't know that connection. But all I knew was I looked different than all my friends. I was short and I was wide. And they were all long and lanky. And um, I knew it then. And I started hating myself then. I started hating who I was. And I started hating my body. And, um, you know, I mentioned that little boy. When he turned six, I remember thinking to myself, this is when I started hating myself. And he was so little. And he was so innocent. And I just really felt so badly. I felt so badly for me. You know, what a, what a horrible thing. And that really continued my whole life, really. Um, I would say until I got here. And until um, I got here. Until I got abstinent. I didn't get abstinent right away, but I'll tell you that later. Um, I was put on my first diet when I was 10. And um, every day thereafter, every time I'd wake up, and every day I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think, what diet am I going to be on today? 
I didn't think that in the beginning because there was only one diet I knew. That was the diet my mother put me on. And so that was, you know, you take a piece of bread off one side of your sandwich. You don't need potato chips anymore. Um, you eat hard-boiled eggs, you know, things like that. You watch yourself. <laughs> That's what she said. You watch yourself. I can hear her say it. Um, of course, she never had a food issue, so... Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, my life revolved around food. When I was going to eat, what I was going to eat, how was I going to do it, and um, also, how was I going to do it privately? I was one of those people who, I didn't want you to see me eat, because then you would be reminded of my body, and then you would call me names and tell me I needed to be on a diet. And um, so I was a very, very private eater and um, you know I was also one of those people who like ate like a bird in front of other people and couldn't understand why I couldn't lose weight because when I was 10 I got it food equals too much food equals weight so um, so I did it privately and I think because of that secret I held I felt like a fraud in my life you know because you didn't know who I was you didn't really know who I was. And um, a lot of the time, I uh, spent worrying that I was going to get found out and that someone was going to tap me on the shoulder at school and say, we know who you are. We know what you do. And you're a big, fat phony. And um, it was a hard way to live. It was a hard way to live. So what I did in my life, it was very important to me at the time, um, growing up, high school, junior high school, high school, that um, I counted my worth by how many phone calls I got in a night, you know, by how many kids wanted to talk to me. And that's, that was it. That was how I thought I was uh, having a good day. I was a good person or I was a piece of shit. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, I, when I'd come home from school, I'd just, all I wanted to do was go to my room, take off my smile, lower my shoulders. My shoulders were in a constant state of tension, and just sit on my bed and look out the window. And then I was maybe a little comfortable, you know, just all by myself. No one to ask me what I was doing, whatever. I came from a house that was very loud and violent. And um, I really had nobody to depend on. There were no adults in my life. You know, you say people talk about their moms and their dads, whatever. And um, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but I was basically betrayed by every adult in my life. My parents, the family doctor, um, aunts and uncles, whatever, teachers. Everybody seemed to be saying things about me behind my back, and then they would explode at home. And um, it just wasn't safe. It wasn't safe for me. So, you know what? Food, I think, in those years saved my life, honestly. I, I had nobody. I, I had nobody. And at least the food uh, got me out of the moment, gave me some calm for a moment, and... Um, just let me go on to the next day. Um, I started stealing money from my parents when I was about seven. 
And um, I, where I grew up, it was a small farming community. There were only about 4,000 people there. And so at school, a lot of the kids went home for lunch. Uh, you know, they lived around the school. So this one get, kid, I was going to say his name, but I better not. Um, he used to go home, and he passed a 7-Eleven, and I'd give him the money. And he used to bring me hostess snowballs every day. And boy, oh boy, was that luxurious for me. That Because, oh yeah, my mother was also this health nut. You know, we would go to school and she did yoga. I don't want to even tell you how many years ago that was. And so the only good food we could have in the house was the food that she liked. What a surprise. So we always had um, wise potato chips. And then we always had uh, vanilla fudge ice cream, which I did not like, but she did. So um, that's what we had. And then if people ever came over and they'd bring a box of candy, which we called the good food, she'd hide it. She'd put it way up high. And, uh, and nobody, everybody forgot about it. So I had, to steal, I had to steal the money. I had to have that food. I don't know. I think I would have imploded without it, honestly. Um, so uh, that was my life. That was really my life. I was, um, as we call it now, a people pleaser. Anything you wanted me to do, I would do happily. And um, so I always had a lot of friends. I was really popular and, um, you know, just always kind of running for some kind of school office and everything. And also... If I won, that meant I was worth something. You know, all my uh, self-esteem sorry, came from you. There was nothing in here, nothing. Um, many years, many, many years later, I was in uh, therapy. I was seeing the psychiatrist uh, for um, bulimia, which I was bulimic for about 10 years, you know, 15 years, sorry about that. And... Um, I said to him, why is it that some people can feel good about themselves, just feel good about themselves? It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I didn't know why I was so sophisticated to know this uh, conversation then. I said, but I, some people like me, I need to get my esteem from out here. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's the way some people are. Thank you. Gave him my money, and, you know, and I believed him for a long time. Um, I think everything, you know, they used to have those books. Everything about life I learned in kindergarten, and everything I learned about life I learned in Overeaters Anonymous, Twelve Steps, the Big Book. Um, I used to complain that life didn't come with a set of directions, and. Um, after a while here, I thought, oh, I've got my directions now. I've got a big book. It's my text for living. I've got the 12 steps that tell me how to be the person I want to be. And um, I have tools to help me in my life. So I got that all here. I got that all here. Um, back to my story. So anyway, uh, after college, I was living in New York, and um, I had a couple of roommates. And one of my roommates, she and I were just as obsessed with food 
as the other one. And we come home every week with a different magazine that had, you know, how to lose 15 pounds yesterday and different things like that. So one day I came home and she said to me, I have figured out how to eat whatever I want and lose weight. How do you do that? She said, I eat whatever I want and (laughs) she'll put the teaspoon. And then I forced myself to throw up. She had this teaspoon. And I thought she was a genius. This was like, really, this was the early 70s. There was no bulimia. There was no anorexia in the in the um, in our world, in our community, anywhere. You know, magazines weren't talking about it. Nothing. Um, so I immediately put it to the test because uh, uh, when I was a kid, I used to throw up in the car all the time. So I know some people don't. You know, it makes them sick to do that. But I was a pro. So I tried it, and it was great. It was great. I mean, just eat until I couldn't stand up straight and then get rid of it. And, you know, no one was the wiser. So that first year I did it mm, three or four times, you know, it was not a big deal. And honestly, if I did it three or four times and that was it, I wouldn't be sitting here today probably. It, was, it didn't make my life unmanageable by doing that three or four times. But... The big book tells me I have a progressive disease and um, I found out because within seven years I was doing it up to ten times a day and I was a prisoner of my home. Um, By that time I was living out here, I was married and um, we were getting, we were splitting up. And we we got married back east, and and then we moved out here. And um, during that first couple weeks of separating, I lost my appetite, which was really a godsend. I'd never, through any death or whatever, I had never, I've never lost my appetite except then. And um, boy, when you don't eat, that weight comes off quickly. It's really kind of crazy when you take in so many fewer calories than you're used to. So I really liked it. My clothes were big. It was really great. And then a few weeks later, lo and behold, I'm ravenous. And I thought, and I got into a panic. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I decided, this was like, I thought, another stroke of uh, genius. Every time you eat, you're going to throw up. And I thought that was the solution to my problem because people still weren't talking about bulimia or any kind of food issues at all. So I thought that was a great solution. So then, you know, I lived alone. What better way to to, uh, have an eating disorder? And I was in. I stayed home. And I used to think, on Sundays especially, I would um, treat myself well. This is the way, uh, you know, now we say, oh, get a massage, get your nails done, whatever. To me, treating myself well was going to the expensive market and buying whatever I wanted. And that was treating myself well. I could go up and down any aisle and take whatever I wanted. And that, that was a good day for me. Um, but I used to wonder, what are my friends doing who have a life, who don't do this? What are they doing? You know, they were married, they were having families. 
maybe at the beach, you know, and there I was, stuck in my house, and it wasn't really a good time. So, um, hi. Came by to say hello. Oh, welcome. Good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does he always do that? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Those listening, a, a policeman, a Beverly Hills policeman uh, just came to our door, but he saw we were all behaving ourselves. So, um, kind of. So, anyway, that lasted for about, um, about eight more years that I, I did that, and then I couldn't, I couldn't purge anymore. So, I just um, continued to eat like a bulimic and... Um, and uh, just wore it. So now, a few, a few years later, there's an article about eating disorders in some women's magazine. And I was so excited about it. And they talked about, you know, everything that I was doing. And they mentioned this doctor in Chicago who had this eating disorders clinic. So I, um, I called him. I didn't know what else to do. And he recommended that I see somebody here. And I did, and that was the guy who told me that, just the way I am, that I need all my self-esteem from you. And, but he also, one of the first times I met him, um, he, uh, he said, why don't you join Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, well, I'm not a joiner. <laughs> so I didn't go. I thought the whole idea was just ridiculous that I would join a club. But... Um, I stayed with him for a number of years and, and uh, nothing ever happened. Five minutes. I'm going to get to recovery right now. <laughs> so, I, um, I knew a guy named Gary. And Gary actually named this meeting the kitchen sink. And, um, and he had lost 100 pounds coming here and he never gained it back. He's, he's not with us anymore, but... Until the day he died, he was abstinent. <clears throat> and I went out to lunch with him a few times, and he, he ate like a normal person. I mean, he even had a roll and butter in front of me, you know, and I thought that was, I never ate bread in front of people. Um, so, uh, so, and he came to this meeting every week. And so um, I came here, and I thought, this is horrible. This is just horrible. They believe in God. God is like the first word of the serenity prayer. And I didn't believe in God. I didn't want to believe in God. I, I didn't want any of it. So I had two steps that I could work here because they were the only two steps that did not include the word God, capital H, him, he, whatever. And um, so I did that, first step and the twelfth step, in case you're wondering. And... Um, and I listened. I came here and I listened to what people had to say. I even took notes. I still take notes. Um, and um, I noticed that anybody who had what I wanted, including weight loss, uh, had a very strong connection with a higher power. So I thought, I'm trapped now because I want what they have. And now I have to have a higher power. So what I did was I followed direction. I acted as if I believed in a higher power. 
And um, I would pray to, lie in bed and pray to my ceiling. And I dare God to, like, burn a bush in my bedroom. You know, I'd make these ridiculous commands that I thought were totally uh, same requests. And um, so I, uh, I did that. And a few weeks later, I heard a voice in my, in my bedroom. And it said, um, you are not alone and you never have been. And, you know, I was the only person in the room. That's all I can say about that. I was so embarrassed that I had now a higher power. <laughs> I was one of those people. I was really embarrassed about it. I went to my meeting the next day. I shared about it at the meeting. And I was just, I knew I had to share about it, but I was really embarrassed. Of course, not realizing that all these people who have more time than me also had a higher power in their lives. So, um... I still didn't get abstinent. I was having problems getting abstinent. And um, in retrospect, I I think what I had to do was like develop this God muscle, you know. So I had books in the morning next to my table and I would, and on my night table, and I would, when I wake up, I would see them instead of consumer reports rates, the diets that used to be at my night table. And um, I'd read a book. I'd take a walk. I would um, try and uh, memorize the third step prayer, which I thought I would never do because it's so long. And I, you know, would walk with my little card. Something nice happened. I would remember this, you know, thank you, my higher power, and things like that. And um, and in October of that year, I'm really running out of time. I see. Um, so a couple things happened. Uh, and some of you know the story. So I'm reading the newspaper, and I see uh, peanuts in the paper. I never read peanuts. I never read it before. And honestly, I haven't read it since. But this one day, I read peanuts. And Charlie Brown is reading a book. And Lucy's on a swing. And Charlie Brown says, you know what it says here? Lucy, what? It says it takes 365 days for the earth to revolve around the sun. Really? She says, yeah. Are you sure? Says it right here. And in the last frame, Lucy said, well, that's funny because I thought the world revolved around me. (laughs) And my first thought was, Lucy too? (laughs) And so, and I was sitting on the floor. I used to read the newspaper sprawled out on the living room floor. And I just envision this globe spinning on my head, you know, like the elementary school globes, those tin globes. And I just gave it to my higher power. And I was on the third step at the time, and I really feel that that was me taking this third step. Am I done? Can I just finish the story? Thank you. So, so then... Um, about a week later, I'm walking in the park with this guy that I knew I used to work with, and um, he was in AA. We we're just taking a walk, and he said, "So, Susan, tell me, how long have you been going to Overdose Anonymous?" And I said, "Oh, about five months now." And he said, "Why are you still fat?" And he said, "And I know your sponsor, and she's fat." <laughs> And I tried to make excuses for her and say, like, you know, like Olympic coaches, they're not the Olympian, but they could tell the coach, the person, what to do. That was my excuse for my sponsor. And so it was, it was a Sunday. It was October 26th. And I walked home and I thought, 
kind of now or never. What are you, what are you going to do? And I became abstinent. So it was about Sunday, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I did not have one last binge. I, uh, I got abstinent. I have been abstinent ever since. Um, and it is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I, um, I just can't even begin to tell you. I just know it's been what's been going around in my head since I had my birthday was the, uh, the first of the nine-step promises. We will know a new freedom and a new happiness. And I have to tell you, the freedom of not having to eat I don't have to eat. I am powerless over food. I'm still powerless over food, but I don't have to eat today. And boy, oh boy, every day that I don't get to hate myself is a good day for me. So thank you very much. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself uh, being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. And if being recorded, we state the question. Okay. Questions until 9.35 a.m. And I will get a warning from Kara. Okay. Who a question? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's nice. So the question is, um, during my 32 years, uh, have I gotten a fuller heart for myself, right? Is that what you're talking about? Um, like I mentioned, the fact that at first that I stopped eating compulsively and being abstinent really helped a lot because I never woke up humiliated. Since, And I can say I very rarely speak in... Um, absolutes but since I got abstinent I have never woken up humiliated at my actions from the night before or the day before so that really was a big help for me Um, and then trusting the program I was terrified to do an inventory and um, and I thought well I haven't done anything wrong you know that's I had a lot of denial in my life by the way (laughs) I thought I came from a great home Um, and then reading that doing my fifth step and my sponsor was not the same sponsor that the guy was talking about she was so loving and so accepting of me that I've never had that before ever and just that warmth kind of radiates you know and I was less afraid and then I was less afraid to look at my character defects and um, it's really funny because I'm a person I never wanted to admit I was wrong because that was dangerous and now I probably apologize like eight times a day or something you know whatever I do I mean whatever mistakes I make it's not a big deal anymore so I don't have to hate myself for making a mistake you know um, so it's just kind of that progress making amends 
I just have to say, I don't think it's ever really a fun process, but, but I did it because I'm supposed to do that, and I'm told that that's going to be better, and it does. It hits the past, you know. It really does. Um, and then, you know, today I do my spot check amends inventory. At night I do an AEIOU thing. Um, and um, I, uh, I write down my food in, what is it? It's, there's an app, my fitness pal. I do that. I shouldn't. And so everything is clean every day. Everything is clean. And I carry the message. And I uh, sponsor people like I was sponsored. And that's a, that's a nice thing to do because I'm not, I'm not uh, that person. I didn't come here that person. I came here very judgmental and very, um, you should do this, very stern, you know. And I'm not that anymore, you know. And the nice part is, is that my son also gets to reap the benefits of that. I didn't have a child until I was, you know, he's nine. Look at me. It's a long time ago. I mean, I had to wait a long time to have a kid. And I just think, you know, God took care of him because I wasn't ready, you know. So I hope that helps. Thank you. Okay. Casey. Thank you, Susan. You persuaded me that you're an addict. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I am wondering in terms of 12-stepping people, if you've either been asked or cautiously volunteered when you see somebody's an addict and have been able to persuade them, like, you know, Bob is grateful for Bill because nobody ever talked about addiction. Right. Have you had an opportunity to talk about addiction with somebody who never talked about addiction before? So the question is, have I ever 12-stepped anybody who never talked about addiction? No. I am a program of attraction, right? That's what they tell me. If they ask, I'm happy to tell, you know. And that was even in the beginning when I only had two steps, because the 12th step, I was always happy to tell them. So, no, I don't, um, if somebody is uh, not talking about it, mentioning it, no matter what their body size, I don't. Thank you. Hi. Yeah. In the hat. What is your Oh, what is my relationship like with my higher power now? Okay, well, I think in one way I was lucky because I could create my own higher power because I didn't have one. So um, my higher power, oh my gosh, I, I just love my higher power. I'm so lucky to have it. Um, my higher power is loving, non-judgmental, accepting, um, if I do something that I should not be doing or should do something that I haven't been doing, I get a gentle nudge. I can always tell when it's my higher power or when it's me, or when it's my disease is what I should say. Um, I, uh, I meditate in the morning and I write a letter to God every morning. Um, I do that after I drop my son off because he has to go to school so early. Um, and I always take that third step in the letter. Dear God, today I turn my will, which are my thoughts, my life, which are my actions, and my food, which is my disease, to your care today. And then I write whatever complaints I have. (laughs) So that's, thank you. Hi, yeah. What are you struggling with most today? 
What do I struggle most with today? I can tell you very quickly. Patience. Patience. I have a nine-year-old kid who's <laughs> dyslexic and has ADD. And I can have conversations with him that he doesn't remember literally five seconds later. Patience. It's a big one. Thank you. Hi. Hey. How has your uh, relationship with the program changed, let's say, in the first year versus now, from meetings, sponsors, service, So uh, the question is, um, how has my program changed in 32 years? Is that it? With like meetings, my relationship to the program, meetings, service, whatever. So in my first couple of years, I went to a lot, a lot of meetings. I went to between five and six a week, and I don't do that today. I go to uh, probably two meetings a week. Um, I started doing service in this room, not in this room, sorry, in this meeting, um, before I even got abstinent. They needed a literature person, and my sponsor looked at me. So, and Doris judged that I was okay, even though I wasn't abstinent. She looks honest, she said, and I became the literature person. And um, ever since then, I always have a commitment, except when my son was born, and I took some time off from having commitments, because it was tough. But um, I always, and now, I mean, I still, so uh, I took probably about three years off from commitments. Um, but I always have a commitment. Um, I've done service on the intergroup level. I one year ran the birthday party, and I was the chairman of the board of the intergroup. Um, sp- started sponsoring when I um, finished my fifth step. I was told to start sponsoring then. And um, today I, I'm retired. I'm a stay-at-home mom, but people don't look at that as a job. So I'm retired, and I sponsor, I sponsor more people than I used to sponsor when I worked. So I still have my finger in it, you know. I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> so thank you. Hi, yeah. Yeah. So the question is, um, what happened on the day I got abstinent, and uh, how long did it take for the mental obsession to uh, to leave? So what happened is, I heard what. This guy said, why are you still fat? You go to Overdue's Anonymous. You're a size 18. You haven't changed. I had to look at that. The truth. It was the truth. I know people always gasp when they hear it. But he said, but he did me a big favor. I was. I was still fat. So, I had to hear it. I had to face it. And, and that's what happened. That's what happened uh, on my walk home. I'm done? Five oh, five minutes. Okay. So the mental obsession. Um, sometimes it still comes up, some things, but not like the foods that I gave up. Pretty quickly. It, pretty quickly. Like, uh, like for an example, I don't eat sugar. 
it doesn't, it's not in my realm anymore. And I have a kid. He eats sugar, you know. But it's not part of my life. I've cut birthday cakes for nine years. It's not part of me. So I just don't even deal with it. I mean, there's not even, there's nothing. Just wash my hands when I'm done cutting. Instead of, you know. So, anyway. Okay? Sure. Hi, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, we talked a lot about the isolation mm-hmm. the So after you got abstinence and abstinence and even in your years of abstinence, how have how have that changed, mm-hmm. um, especially now that you know you have a son? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you you know make conscious steps not to get back into the isolation in any area of your life? Um, okay, so how do I uh, how did I uh, go from being an isolated person to a not isolated person? Well, I must say this. I will confess that I have a partner. I mean, oh, yeah, she had the baby, not me. And um, when they're both out and I'm alone, that's nice. (laughs) But um, it's just amazing how much more free time I had not being obsessed with food and not going to the market, coming home, going to, you know. That was busy. And, and then I had so much more free time. And then I wasn't embarrassed about who I was. Because when I was abstinent, I didn't have any secrets. I didn't have that big, horrible secret where it was more comfortable to be alone. Don't talk to me. Don't ask me any questions about my day, whatever. So I don't have to lie. So it come, it, for me, it came naturally. You know, just more and more plans. Life is busy. Life is in session. That's what they used to say. I haven't heard that in a while. But life is in session. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, John. Um, You answered this partially, but how how are the steps in the program help you in your day-to-day family interactions in life? Uh, How do the steps help um, in my day-to-day life? Well, I do take that third step every day. I make that decision. That's the first few words of the, of the third step. We make a decision. So I make that decision. Um, when I am wrong, I promptly admit it. I do that. Um, I carry the message. I meditate. I um, uh, sponsor people. I do service. Is that enough? Oh, interactions with people. Um, so, uh, basically, I don't want to have to give amends a lot. So, <laughs> I try to be the best person I can. Um, and I try to, uh, gosh, for instance, um, one day I cut somebody off. No, I didn't cut somebody off. I cut three people off within ten minutes one morning. I wasn't really even aware that I did that. But I saw the looks, I heard the horns, and I thought... Oh, this is not how I want to behave. So now when I drive and someone wants to cut in, I let one person in every time because that's my amends to behaving like a jerk and behaving non-thinking, just not thinking about anybody but myself. Okay. Hi, Tara. How do I what? How do I deal with people disappointing me now? I talk about it with people who are like my sponsor or um, somebody, a friend who doesn't know that person. 
Like with my partner, I'll talk about it with somebody who's not friends with her. So it's not gossiping. You know, because that's a bad one. (laughs) Gossiping is a bad thing to do, people. So, um, yeah, I want to feel good about myself. And um, I don't want to, if I start thinking about food, something's up. What am I having for dinner? What am I, you know, kind of thing. I don't want to do that. So, talk about it. I can write about it, too. So, time's up. Thank you, everybody.